Hello and um, welcome to Back of the Net and Beyond and today I'm lucky enough to speak to former Man United, West Ham and Stoke City professional footballer Luke Chadwick. How are you doing Luke? You okay? Yeah, all good thank you Danny. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so I mean as I mentioned there you played for some massive clubs and we'll touch on that kind of uh, late part of the, the conversation. If you want to just explain kind of a little bit about yourself and what you're currently up to. Yeah, so at the minute, I've obviously stopped playing football probably about five years ago now, professionally. Okay. Went into coaching in the academy at Cambridge United after that, sort of just fell into it really. And now I'm involved in an organisation called the Football Fun Factory, which is a coaching organisation, as the name suggests, around yeah. putting fun into football and coaching children from the ages of two to 12 years old. And the aim is to really try and grow that organisation to sort of nationwide, worldwide is the, is the ambition of the company long term. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, I mean, we'll touch on that again uh, later on. So I want you to elaborate more on the thought process behind that and obviously what you're looking to achieve in more detail. But if you want to kind of start from the start, um, you growing up as a child, were you always interested in football or were you kind of uh, one of those who was kind of dabbling in other things as well in terms of sport? No, I think I always loved football from the moment I could sort of run around and was lucky enough to have quite a big garden where I lived. So I spent a lot of time in there okay. playing football. Then I was probably <laughs> about six or seven, I would say, when my dad took me to my first football game at Cambridge United. That's a, the local team to me. And yeah. the second that I stepped in the stadium, sort of experienced that atmosphere, what a live football game was like, I just... That was what I wanted to do. Or everything was about being a footballer. It was completely different, as I'm sure you yeah. remember back when we were kids. It wasn't. You didn't really start playing till I think it was under nines. I started playing, and you were straight onto a full size football pitch, full size goals. So, <laughs> yeah, that was obviously um, how it was. That was my first involvement in football, playing for a team called Melbourne Tigers. They were called in a village where I lived, the under nines, and. I was really fast when I was a kid. So on the big pitches, I used to stand up front. Mm. My teammates would whack the ball over the top. I'd chase <laughs> after it and get score loads of goals. So it's probably that initial success that I had that gave me the confidence to go on and mm. truly believe that I could become a footballer. Okay. And then, I mean, that's pretty much the same as myself. And then, so in your area, as you were kind of growing up as a child and playing football, um, were you were people aware of kind of how good you were at that age? Were people kind of saying, look, you potentially got uh, a chance of making it in the game? Yeah, I don't really remember sort of any. I think everyone knew that I was a, a good footballer because I used to score so many goals. Really, I was known around. I didn't. I went from a really a hotbed of where many professional footballers come from. It was sort of a small village in the south of Cambridge, so okay. I probably stood out quite a lot because there wasn't that like a high number of really good players from that area which obviously could be a good or a bad thing for me the fact I weren't playing against brilliant players but I think it gave me so much confidence to see that I was quite a lot better than the majority of people I was playing against in the area that I lived. Mm. Okay and then so in terms of kind of Man United now you're at the age of what nine, ten, eleven. At what stage did you hear kind of the interest from 
like Man United, was Man United your first kind of professional club that you signed for? Was it a stage where you went to someone else and then Man U picked you up? So I signed originally as an under 13 player. I signed at the School of Excellence at Arsenal. That was off the back of playing for um, a team called East Anglia Boys, where the gifted boys from East Anglia would come together and play. And they sort of had a link with Arsenal. And I ended up signing there for a season. Right. And then I think it was the year after, and I'm sure you played for your local schools team, the sort of the area team that it was. I played for Cambridge Schools, and that was the big football back then where it was quite a lot of scouts would go and watch the games and I'd scoring a lot of goals. And it's from that, off the back of that, I got, I got scouted by a guy called Ray Medwell to go up and train at Manchester United for a week's okay. trial at the time. Okay. And how did that go? How did you feel when you heard that, that news? Kind of, I'm assuming you were really excited. Uh, how, how did it make you feel? Like, what was the thought process going forward from that? Yeah, it was like the second that Manchester United are interested. Obviously, Arsenal was a, a huge, fantastic football club, but back yeah. in them days, Man United was the team. They were winning the league every year. They had all these young players coming through. It was yeah. an incredible feeling to do that. And then to go up to Manchester, they, there's probably about 13, 14 boys from all over the country, or England, Wales, Ireland, staying in a hotel on like this week's trial. And the whole environment of the place it just you just were made to feel incredibly special straight away and I just sort of loved it the second I went out there even as a trialist so yeah I knew that was where I wanted to to sign for if I got the opportunity to I can imagine uh, that must have been amazing and then so in terms of the trial itself how did that go did you play well or indifferent or were you kind of pleased when you came away from that week's trial yeah, so like the week's trial consisted of we'd go and train with the scholars, train amongst ourselves during the week, and then the, the week ended with a, a game in our age group and we played against um, Nottingham Forest. So I don't know, you might even have been around that at the time. I know we're a similar age. I don't know if, we are actually the same age, but I'm, I'm, to be honest, the scenario of what you're saying is pretty much the same as mine. But I can't, to be honest, I can't remember playing against United when I was Forest as a youngster, sorry. Oh, right. Yeah, so it was um, just a, like a game in the school holidays. Done well in the game, scored some goals, thought I'd had a good week. And then the, the club took us to the various train stations where we were to sort yeah. of make our way home. And by the time I got home back to the, where I lived, Alex Ferguson had phoned up my mum at home and said that she that he wanted me to sign for the club. So... Once you hear that news, I think there's only one, one club you're going to sign for. Wow. So, so literally, Sir Alex picked up the phone and spoke to your mom. Yeah. So, Sir Alex Ferguson was actually at the game. But obviously, that made me feel so good. But that was more like the, the genius of the man. It wasn't just me that he'd do that for. He'd do that for all the boys. Because he, yeah. he wanted every part to know every single detail of what was going on in the club, whether that be in the first team, the reserves, or an under-14 player signing schoolboy forms. So that was, to know that he took the trouble to do that, a man of his sort of standing in the game, it's, it was no wonder that United got most of the young players that they wanted back in, back in those days. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's kind of unheard of in those days. You're looking at, what, 30 years ago? where an actual manager, like you said, of that stature in particular, would call a parent of a child who he's potentially wanted to sign. 
to say he wants to sign. It's normally someone who's kind of one of the coaches or just someone from the backroom stuff. So straight away, anyone who's receiving that call, more than likely going to want to sign for him anyway. Yeah, and I, but it, was, it was how that the man treated everyone. Like I've been, I was at the club as a as a first team player in the canteen at Carrington, and there'd be some under ten, under eleven, under twelve academy boys there, and the manager would know all of them, but not just know their name. He'd know a detail about them, and for him to do that, it just it means so much mm. in terms of you wanting to work that little bit harder for. For the man, I think that's where the incredible success that, that he had at Manchester United come through is them small details of making yeah. everyone, whether it be a player, someone in the canteen, the kit man, making them feel part of that incredible organisation. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, everyone talks about his man management skills and how good he was at doing that. Um, and you hear that he does it from, from kind of the top all the way down to the, the youngsters who aren't even household names and things. So from that perspective, obviously he deserves a lot of uh, a lot of praise for that. Um, and again, for someone obviously that do that, that's that's amazing. So you've obviously at that point, so you've decided to sign for United, and then you've gone through the ranks and you've kind of gone into the youth team setup, and then you're in the reserves and things. What was it like working with kind of Fergie, knowing that obviously you're at Man United, and it's probably at that point your biggest club in the world. Um, how, how did it feel working with him kind of on a daily basis? What was he like? Yes. So obviously in the early days as a, as a scholar coming through, you wouldn't, he wouldn't be around it as much because he'd be with the first team. But it was always that, particularly as a, as a YTS, the first two years when we were still training at the cliff, it was such a enclosed, small, completely different to the, to the training grounds that are yeah, around today. But yeah. I, think, I think that sort of built that sort of, real family atmosphere that everyone was around each other so tight to each other and it was um is it like the, them days as a as a scholar them two years as a YTS player incredible years where you sort of you've just left home left school you're doing something you love every day so it was real fond memories of them times and obviously to be a part of a club like Manchester United was was amazing yeah and you played with some great players in the U team so I, I went to Lillyshaw I don't know if you remember if you know at all but in my year at Lillyshaw we had Paul Wheatcroft uh, we probably played with him uh, Ian Fitzpatrick I think he was there at United as well and then the year above me at Lillyshaw was Wes Brown which obviously you're aware of so kind of who else was in and around your age group who you're playing with on a daily basis yes yeah, so I remember I think we played you guys a couple of times like with our age group had come down to Lillyshaw and playing it was always sort of well these these lads that are going to this school playing football, there's all like a little bit of jealousy around it. I remember the Boy, games yeah. really, really well. Mm. Obviously, Fitzy and Wheaty were great lads that come in and like that sort of aura about you boys that went to Lillyshaw when you yeah. like them lads had come back into training and go, oh, they're the sort of the England boys. So they were two fantastically gifted players. John O'Shea, he joined probably a few months into our first year. So he was obviously a top player. He went on to have a Brilliant career. Paul Rachubka yeah. was our goalkeeper. He had a career in the game. Michael Stewart, he played some games for United and went on to play in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Wes, who had a wonderful career in the game. Yeah. Richie Wellens, who was a fantastic player. He's obviously yeah. the manager of Swindon now. I think they were the ones that, that really went on to have good careers in the game. But I think even 
to have that grounding and to experience that what's expected of you at Man United, whether the, a lot of the boys went to have careers in football, they still had a good grounding to go and be successful in other, other walks of life. Mm, yeah, 100%, I agree. Um, so, in terms of obviously moving on from that, so you, you're in and around the first team now and you've obviously played a number of games for Man United. Um, what was it like when you heard that you were going to be kind of potentially making your debut? you're going to be obviously playing for the first team at some point. So the, the first game that I played for United, my debut was against Aston Villa in the Worthington Cup. At the time, the manager used to play a lot of the young lads. So I was only, I think, 17 or 18 at the time. And there's probably about five or six of us got in, were told that we were playing against a real strong Aston Villa team. And we got yeah. beat, I think, 3-0 or 3-1 on the night. But we didn't do too bad considering the age of the team but I remember just walking home the day before the game to the, my digs from the cliff and just thinking like this is what it was like to play for Man United it's like pinch yourself time to actually yeah. just to play one game for the club was amazing like a dream come true mm. even going up there as a as a scholar you're always thinking like it's going to be a it's going to be a great experience but a, a big big ask to to get in the team and play a game so to once you've played that original game, I'm sure you remember that. The debut playing first-team football was just the most incredible experience. Like all them times playing on a shitty pitch and that sort of thing. And it's all yeah. worthwhile now you've got to that sort of the big time now. You've played in front of a crowd. So it was um, an amazing experience. That's a massive achievement. And obviously, I mean, you didn't only just make like one or two appearances. You made quite a lot for United, which obviously showed how kind of highly regarded you were at the club. I remember growing up, because obviously I used to play left wing, I'm sure you used to, you used to play on the wing and midfield as well. Um, so I was always aware kind of who was my, say, direct competition. And it was always kind of you, Matthew Everton and people like that. So we, I mean, it's not like it was, or it's not like it is nowadays. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's easy now, because obviously it isn't, but for us at that age, you're looking at what, 30 years ago, to get anywhere near the first team, and to potentially make a, a, an appearance and then sustain that afterwards, very, very difficult. Um, and we had some tough, tough competition. And obviously, the game was slightly different then as well in terms of how it was like, played on the pitch. Um, who was in the squad kind of when you were there at that point? Obviously, Beckham, Scholes and all those. What was it like training with those on a, on a daily basis as well? Yeah, I remember after I made my debut, I went off and on loan and played at Royal Antwerp in Belgium for about seven, eight months, which gave me my first real regular experience of playing football. And then when I was called back from there, that's when I played the season where I played a fair few games or come on in a fair few games at United. Right. I was really disappointed at the time when I was called back from Antwerp because I was really enjoying my football there and I weren't really expecting... Okay. Yeah. to go back into the first team. I thought I'd just been out there a long time and I was just going to go back to the reserves. Yeah. So then to go back in and sort of train with the guys that you talk about every day, it was, it was an amazing experience, but real intense. Like every day was such a battle because you had to be up to the standards. Training was probably harder than the games because it's probably the best players in the league that are just playing against each other every day. So I remember at the end of that season, although I didn't really play much in terms of minutes on the pitch I was completely exhausted probably from the training every day and like the mental concentration everything that went with it so I was remember just finishing that season thinking wow I'm 
a 19, 20 year old boy, but I feel sort of wiped out now. Yeah. It, was, it was a really um, incredible, but it was, it weren't easy, if you know what I mean. 100%. And you touched on the mental side of it. And I mean, that's a massive part of it because to sustain a, a career at that level, you have to commend people like Roy Keane and, and Keaton Beckham and all those kind of players because literally every day on and off the field, you have to be on it. And I, I can't imagine what it was like at United. I mean, I made my debut at, at Leicester as an 18 year old. So I was still playing in the, in the youth team and in the reserves as well. And um, in terms of training with the first team, I mean, I played with the likes of Robbie Savage, uh, Emil Heskey, uh, Muzzy Izzet, Neil Lennon, and the intensity. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a false environment. It, that's just how they were. And you had to step up your game. And I mean, just the, the level of passing and things and how they pass the ball, you know it's a different straight away from reserve team level and obviously youth team level. Yeah, definitely. I think like you alluded to there, you, the sort of passes you receive in a reserve team where the ball will come into you or whatever, in the first team you can see the second you get that first ball it's fizzed into you. It feels like a shot coming into you, but that's uh, the standard that just raises straight away. And, you're, and rightfully so, you're expected to be at that level because they want to carry on progressing and be the as, as good as they can be. So it's sort yeah. of sink or swim. And if you're not at the level, you're certainly, I'm sure mm. you were as well told you're not at the level and sort of to raise it because that that is what it takes to, to play at that level for a, a prolonged period of time. That's it, 100%. I mean, I remember, as you know, when you're kind of in and around the first thing, you kind of think, okay, brilliant. I've kind of got to that level. Now let's try and kick on or even sustain it. Um, and I, I remember, as I mentioned, I was, I was in and around the first team uh, training, but then I was still playing for the reserves on a Tuesday and also for the youth team on a Saturday. And at the time, I didn't realise I was kind of, I was physically tired and mentally as well. Um, and obviously there's a buzz around you at the club and everyone's talking about this youngster coming through and stuff. And I remember one reserve game where I think I'd made my debut in the first team or I'd been training with the first team for a while. And I didn't play too well. And it wasn't for the want of trying. It's just because I, was, I just had a bad game, as you sometimes do. And I remember Martin O'Neill, the manager at the time, who was a great manager, he came in and he just he absolutely came in front of everyone. He, he just said, look, you've been at this level and, and you're putting in a performance like that. And, and I just, I felt so bad. You know, sometimes a manager says something, you don't agree and you say something back um, to fight your corner. But I had nothing to say because I, I held him in such a high regard. And what he was saying was actually true. He wasn't saying I wasn't trying. He was just saying that I wasn't performing to the level that he thought I should have been. Um, so I'm assuming maybe something's happened like, like yourself, uh, to yourself, similar scenario. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, obviously, like I mentioned about Sir Alex Ferguson, is always because he went to all that effort to make you feel so special, you'd always want to try a little bit harder and if he did give you praise it felt like nothing else it was sort of the, yeah. the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up because it felt so good that mm. he'd given you praise but at the same time like you mentioned there about um martin o'neill if he if he had a go at you it didn't make you feel real bad at the same time but he was only trying to to help to help you progress but mm. it is as a young player coming through it you've got i've got i've got so much respect for them players that um did have such a incredible year at uh, sorry an incredible career at the top level because it does it has to be every part of your life you have to be on it and do everything a hundred percent otherwise you just can't 
sustain being at that level, I don't think. Literally every day. It's, it is very, very tough. And for the average kind of layman out there who may not be privy to kind of a, a, an average day as, a, as an athlete or an average career as an athlete, it's, uh, there's a lot more than the performance on the field. I mean, to some extent, that's probably the easiest part. It's everything, especially nowadays with social media and, and things like that. It, it must be very tough for these players, especially the younger ones. Um, but I mean, so obviously you played for Man United and went out on loan. Um, in terms of kind of um, the players that you were trained with at United at that time, we obviously spoke about kind of Geeks and Skulls and Wes Brown and, and David Beckham and stuff. Um, and they're obviously household names. Who who did you look up to? Who did you think in training well, like they're actually like better than I thought? Who stood out for you on and off the field? Yeah, I think on the field they were obviously there's it's hard to pick one out, but the the best player, the one that stood out a little bit was always um Paul Skulls. He could just seem to do everything. Like he like he had eyes in the back of his head, his awareness, he could shoot, he could dribble it like every he just seemed to have everything every day the standard was through the roof but he was probably that little bit further further ahead than everyone else I think off the pitch I'd have to say Roy Keane who really it was like real drove the standards on and off the pitch but he'd always look look out for our for the younger guys he'd look out for everyone because he was obviously the club captain yeah. but he really looked after uh, the younger boys and made sure that we was okay and that sort of thing. So definitely Roy Keane off the pitch, I'd say. And did, any, did anyone ever kind of pull you to one side and have a word and say, look, maybe you should be doing this? Or Because to be honest, when I was growing up, I didn't really have anyone that did that for me. Not that I needed it, but I know sometimes you hear stories now where kind of youngsters will speak about the older, like the senior players and how well they are off the pitch and the advice they get. So did you ever receive any... I wouldn't say I was always so quiet. I'd never really sort of seek anyone out to ask advice. I was sort of a real quiet lad. But even the time I'd spend, say, if it was me and David Beckham were on the right and we're just doing crossing and shooting, he'd always sort of help me out or just give me a little advice. And just by being so close to someone of his ability and just sort of watching, that always, yeah. always stood me in real good stead as my career progressed to sort of away from Manchester United to think about the things that these world-class players had done mm. to maybe try and put some of that into to my own personal game. Of course, that must have been amazing. So, I mean, from the outside looking in, people that are hearing this, they, they won't, they may not understand kind of the level that you were playing at and obviously uh, the standards that, that to keep and stuff. So, I mean, I do, uh, and obviously I look at your career Obviously, I knew, I knew about you growing up anyway, just because, obviously, the same age, same year group. Uh, so I was aware of, obviously, the standard. Um, you mentioned you went on loan to Royal Antwerp, which um, I think you had a connection. Man United had a connection with them. I don't know if they still do. Um, what was your experience kind of living abroad as a youngster? Were you on your own? What was, was there like a language barrier in any way? And obviously, culture change. How did you cope with that? Yeah, I was... I was absolutely delighted to go out there. At the time, there was a couple of George Clegg and Kirk Hilton, two of my mates from my year out there. So I went out there and it was just, it was just felt so free out there in terms of got away, weren't in Manchester anymore. No one really knew we are sort of on the pitch and off the pitch. It was just an amazing life experience. But, you know, to play first team football for the first time and, Obviously, in Belgium, the crowd, the atmosphere was electric. There's all 
flares or the smoke coming out the crowd like that sort of thing it was yeah. it was a wonderful time i really loved my time playing in belgium mm. um and then so how long were you out there for so i was out there sort of from christmas to the end of the season on the first year and we got promote we was in the belgian second division but we won the league which was again a brilliant experience yeah. and then i went back out there the next season for the first couple of months playing in the Belgium top division where we played the likes of Anderlecht and Club Bruges. So it was a, a brilliant, a real good mix where the first year the standard was, it was okay, it was nothing special, but I've had the opportunity to, to stand out in games and really show the player that I was in the second year. Obviously a much harder challenge playing against yeah. really good top quality Belgian opposition. Wow, that must have been amazing. So, obviously, during your period at United, you managed to uh, get into the England under-18s and under-21 squad. Um, how was that for you? Was that kind of another step up or was it slightly different uh, in terms of like the standard? Because I know I've spoken to people before and they say, look, I've played in the first team in the Premier League, so when I go and play for the under-18s, it's kind of not a step down, but it's not as high in, in terms of intensity and whatever else. So what was your experience playing for the under-18s and 21s? Yeah, it was um, the, uh, the under-18s. It was, um, we, we actually went for sort of, there's probably about 40 kids. We went away to Mottramall in Manchester and sort of played and done really well. And to, to get into any England squad was um, like, felt amazing to, to get called in. And I've done really well in the under 18s playing and Howard Wilkinson was the manager and he really sort of the other lads made a joke about how much he sort of liked me and sort of <laughs> like really liked the way I played so yeah. I actually he then left the under 18s to take the under 21 job mm. and then obviously I was just playing in the reserves at United I'd never even I'd played that one first team game in the Wormington Cup and got called into the under 21s which was a, a yeah. massive massive shock because obviously yeah. It was a real strong squad. I was 18 years old. It was the likes of Frank Lampard, Jamie Carragher, Carl, like a lot of big players. I was, I was shocked to be put in, but obviously Howard liked me a lot as a player. So that was the, the reason I went in there. I was never, again, in the under-18s was probably a little bit more relaxed. The under-21s, I never really settled into it, really. I always felt maybe a bit of a, a fish out of water at the time because I was playing there. I was just a reserve team player at United. It was, um, yeah. I, obviously it's an honour to, to represent, your, represent your country, but I was always a bit uncomfortable going away. I didn't really enjoy that side of it that much, really. Mm -hmm. No, I can imagine. I mean, um, I wasn't, when I was at Leicester, there was a, there was rumours about kind of in the 21st when I was like 18, 19, but I knew who I was up against, like yourself and, Matthew Everington and things like that. So it, it was always tough, especially being like a left winger. There was loads of wingers around at that point. Um, you mentioned, obviously, you were playing a, a couple of years ahead of yourself in the England in the 21s. And you played with like Carragher and Lampard and stuff. Um, so who else was there? Was Rio there at that point? So I think Rio would have just been, he was just promoted to the, the full squad at the time. So he weren't in it. I think, um, so I think I was, then Steven Gerrard would, would have gone into it after that. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the players that were in there. Then obviously the, the boys that were my sort of age, like the John Terry's, Francis yeah. Jeffers, they'd sort of be put in there. But then 
I was sort of put in the squad in front of before them while they were sort of playing regular first team football. Wow. It was it was um I was a great honour but a real shock. I sort of expected because I'd done really well in the the sort of weekend away to get into the under eighteen squad. Yeah. But it was a real shock to um, be pushed into the under 21s but mm. again it was a great experience for me to play like international football again is another another level really particularly from where I was yeah. in reserve yeah. team football yeah you can imagine the standard being really high I mean so in terms of your career um, obviously we, we spoke about your achievements at United and going on loan and doing really well at Royal Antwerp and obviously gaining international uh, honours as well um, did you have any like lows, any managers that you didn't really get along with or agree with their playing style or just want to elaborate on that a little bit? No, I've really, um, throughout my career, I was incredibly lucky with the, with the managers that I worked under. Obviously, mm-hmm. Sir Alex, it doesn't get any better than that. Then the mm-hmm. likes of Alan Pardew, I've worked under him twice. He was a really good manager. Tony Pulis, who was a, a brilliant manager, but an incredible man as well. Mm. Paul Ince, when I was at MK Dons, who was a, a big hero of mine growing up watching yeah. him. So that was incredible to play for, for him. Roberto Di Matteo was like quite a quiet guy, but obviously the utmost respect for someone who done what he done in the game. Then yeah. Carl Robinson, who was a, the same age as me and got a, a yeah. manager's job and built a really good relationship with him. I'd say I didn't really enjoy my time partly my responsibility because I couldn't really get myself fit at Norwich but I didn't really probably my least enjoyable time was probably playing under Glenn Roder at at Norwich but again that was probably my own personal circumstances that sort of brought that on as well. Mm. Okay I can understand Um, so obviously you've sustained the career in football and then you kind of get into the, the latter stage of your career. At what point did you consider retirement? Was it kind of a process that you transitioned in over time whilst you were playing? Were you studying something else whilst playing or did you just retire and think, okay, well, what, what am I going to do now? What was the process behind it? Yeah, so that would be, it was, there was no real process behind it whatsoever. It was a real shock to to actually stopping it and I never really planned. I don't know. I never thought, I thought this is never going to end. I never <laughs> thought about it. I thought I'll just keep going and going. Until, yeah. And like, as a, as, as I was getting older, sort of into my thirties, I sort of had it in my mind that I've worked hard to be a footballer. When I, when I finish, I'm just going to sit there. I used to tell me missus and kids are what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit there, get fat and watch telly. <laughs> I don't fancy doing anything else. But obviously the reality of that isn't, isn't what it seems. It's not a, a nice place to be in where you've got nothing to do. We're still really young guys when we're finished playing. We've got a whole life ahead of us. So if yeah. I had one, I get asked a lot, what have I got any regrets? I haven't actually got any regrets in terms of my football career. But the one big regret I've got is not doing my schoolwork. When I thought I was going to be a footballer at Man United, I sort of just down tools and just give really? up with it. I had so much time on my hands as a professional footballer where I could have studied, got a degree or anything like that, but I didn't use my time to do that. So if I could have my time again, that's definitely what I'd do because I think what I would have liked to have done in a perfect world is to stepped away from professional football when I finished. Don't get me wrong, I had an amazing time in it, but I just fancied 
doing something else. I sort of slipped into coaching. I think that's what a lot of players gen tend to yeah. do. I didn't love coaching. I never saw myself as a coach, but I was sort of of the opinion, what, what do I do now? So I ended up getting a job in the academy at Cambridge United, which was obviously a, a great job. But it wasn't, I just sort of knew it wasn't a passion. It didn't really replicate what I was doing as a football. I think it's always going to be hard when you finish to find something that you love as much as football, yeah. but you need to try and find something as close as you can mm. to sort of that. So it was, um, it was certainly a tough period and something that I definitely didn't plan for enough. Mm. Okay. And then, so, I mean, for me, because the bottom line is, I always say to people, do what's right for you. In terms of athletes, that's my mindset. You can listen to as many people as you want, but at the end of the day, you need to do what's right for you. And sometimes you may go into something thinking this is going to be me and then it just doesn't work out. Um, again, it's about trial and error. Um, I didn't want to study when I was playing just because I didn't want to detract away from what I was trying to achieve, that being a professional footballer. So when I was going home, I wasn't necessarily going out and gallivanting with friends. It was a case of going home and just relaxing. Um, and that's just my mindset. I commend anyone who kind of plays at a decent level uh, within the game or whatever their chosen field is. And they're also studying as well. Um, like I said, you need to do what's right for you. But um, you obviously said that you went on to, to coaching, which is probably the most natural step for any professional footballer. I always knew that I didn't, I didn't want to, I probably didn't want to work in the game um, in, in terms of a coaching capacity anyway. Um, and that's hence why I didn't do any coaching badges or anything like that. Uh, and again, with coaching badges, you can do all the badges you want, but it doesn't, there's no guaranteed job at the end. You still need someone to give you a job at the end of the day. So, um, but, so you went to Cambridge and then you're obviously coaching the youngsters there. And then, then what happened after that? So it, it's just sort of, it's a, obviously a different world working in a, a professional football academy than when yeah. you're a player. The, the hours are incredible it was the first time obviously people joke about it's not a proper job playing football and certainly it was a reality check for me and I, I did there's loads of aspects of the job that I really enjoyed in terms of I love spending time with it, trying to help the young players and that sort of thing I just didn't I, I just knew inside me that I can't see myself doing this for the for the rest of my life I just don't enjoy it that much really I think um there was, there was always something inside me that wanted to step away, but it was just, it was there. It was the club I support. I love Cambridge United. I was helping to hopefully bring the next wave of players through, but I had to, I think in the end I just stepped away because it just wasn't, it wasn't right for me really. Okay. And then, so, so what did you do after that? Did you then start the process for your current coaching academy or did you do something else before that? So the, there was a there's a James Cutting. He's a guy. He's the um, founder of our organisation, our coaching company. He started it off probably about two years ago, and then maybe I think about six, seven months ago, myself, Johnny Martin, the co-founder, and a few other guys from Cambridge went to to join up, and it was just it was completely different from anything I've ever done before, and it was all about it weren't about developing professional football. It was about sort of getting boys and girls participating in football and it's not yeah. there's no pressure whatsoever it's just 
it's just fun. It's not going to be a professional contract at the end of it, but more yeah. importantly, there could be a, a lifelong love of football and something that a healthy outlet for these children yeah. to do for the rest of their lives. And it, something about it just seemed really, I don't know, like you're doing some good. I sort of set the, um, my community up where I went to school. Like, so I've got sessions right around where I live. And it was just, it just felt like giving a little bit back to the game yeah. that would give me everything really. And yeah. the opportunity, what really excites me is trying to grow the organisation. So there's football fun factories all over the world in 10 years time. That's sort of the ambition where kids are just going and fall in love with the game from two years old. That's a, that's a big idea that we've got and who knows how far we can take it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's achievable. And you mentioned about just kind of enjoying the game because at a young age, I, I speak to a lot of people and they've got kids and they're like, oh, my son or daughter's playing at X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's brilliant. And then they say, well, what advice would you give? And I always say, well, how old is your child? And invariably it's like eight, nine, 10, maybe a bit older. And I always say, as long as they're enjoying it at that age, that's the main thing. Everything else is irrelevant. Forget about money, forget about kind of, I don't know, what boots they're wearing or who they're going to be playing with. Or forget all of that. It's just about enjoyment at that age and then the rest will fall into it because there's many factors that can happen outside of football, family life and whatever else, development in terms of growth, as in physical growth that can affect your performance and things like that, which may hinder your chances of even making it at any, at any level. Many players, as you know, I mean, we mentioned a few that you played with who didn't even get into reserve level. Um, and they were really high regarded players at a younger age. So there's, there's many things that can kind of uh, hamper your chances of making it at any level. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe sometimes it is too much about the end goal, where mm. it's all that really matters is the process. I think what, what our company does is we look after or try and look out for the 99%, where obviously that aren't going to make it because the facts are what they are. There's not many young children. Now, who knows that a seven-year-old might be unbelievable. No one, none of us know. It's all complete guesswork. Some are going to get through, which is fantastic, but the majority aren't. But it is all worthwhile if at the end of their, their journey in professional football or playing with their mates, if they've, they've had a good time. So it is, like you say, my advice would be exactly the same, that you've got to love what you're doing. Yeah. To to get anywhere, and he, then even if you don't, who cares? Because you're still having a fantastic time exactly. doing it. Exactly, and you can uh, take the experiences that you've uh, gone through in that process, and maybe go and do something else. Um, obviously, so the coaching uh, company that you've got at the moment. What skills did you take from being a professional athlete, um, and what, what what transferable skills do you take with you? And, obviously used to further uh, enhance the company that you're working with? Because obviously I'm assuming you need to liaise with people over the phone, email, face-to-face. So what skills did you take with you, transferable skills? I think it's just the big one. I think the transferable skill that all companies, whatever they're doing, look for is that ability to, to work in a team. And obviously playing football for a long time, being around that, you've got that in abundance. I think I'm, as I was coming to the end of my career, going through my career, I always thought, what can I do now? I've got no 
experience than anything else. But actually coming to the end now and now stepping away from professional football completely, I see so many opportunities out there in terms of what I've mostly all from what I've learned of being a professional footballer over the years. It's such um, an incredible industry to be involved in that you do take, you don't realize it at the time, but now like a few years after, and I do understand how many strengths I've gained from yeah. being a footballer. It's just sort of opening up a little bit and taking when opportunities come around, taking them, speaking to people from different industries and really don't shy yourself away. Just take opportunities because the fact that you've been a footballer or a sports person, so many doors will open up to you for that fact. And then if you've got the people skills or the communication skills to, to further that, there is, there's so many opportunities out there. That's a great point. Um, and then, so in terms of the company, where can people find you? Obviously, if you want to let everyone know the name of the company again, obviously what platforms are available on and things like that. Yeah, so it's, um, it's called the Football Fun Factory. The, the website's www.footballfunfactory.co.uk and it's all over um, social media. That's one thing that I've never really done, but now I've, I've got again. involved in that and I'm, <laughs> I haven't got a Scooby-Doo what I'm doing, but it's <laughs> really fun. Yeah, it's all I mean, over. I'm, I'm late on the scene with the social media thing. I've only been doing kind of Instagram for, I don't know, three or four months and I'm, I've got friends who have been doing it for like years. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, really late on the scene with that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the time that you've spoken to myself. Uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to obviously speak to me. Um, obviously, congratulations uh, with the current uh, business that you've got. And obviously, um, good luck going forward with it. Thanks, Danny. Really enjoyed speaking to you, mate. No problem. Good luck. And obviously, uh, well, obviously maybe speak soon again going forward. Too soon. Definitely. Thank you. Talk to you, mate. Take care. Bye.